The makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Purine and Pret Cooking Fat, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, Maple Margarine, and Niblet's Cheese Twists present the Epic Casebook. In which Inspector Carr investigates. Good evening. The other week, I went to see a show put on by Sarah Churchill. I suppose, like others, I was drawn by the magic of her illustrious father's name and the fact that her very arrival in South Africa brought back a whiff of nostalgia for those dramatic days when the late Sir Winston's indomitable spirit geared Britain for ultimate victory. Of course, I don't propose to comment on Sarah Churchill's success or otherwise as an artist, but as I sat watching her recite her poems and sing her songs, I reflected on the fact that so many leading British families had produced offspring who certainly did not conform to pattern. Watching Miss Churchill, I remembered the trouble the police had with her cousin, Edward Romley, who once hoisted the red flag over the exclusive Whites Club and led rather wild demonstrations in Trafalgar Square against the then British government's foreign policy. It also reminded me of a case of murder in which the victim was a highly talented scion of one of Britain's wealthiest industrialists. Randolph Maybrick did not indulge in politics. He was a very fine writer with an acute social conscience. Yet his very curiosity and concern for his fellow man was to cause him to be bludgeoned to death. The investigation into his murder is the theme for tonight's story, which I've called The Final Chapter. At the time when Sergeant Jackson found the body lying in the gutter, it appeared to be just a shabbily dressed corpse. Shine your torch on him, will you, Jackson? Yeah, this is no tramp. Look at those hands. Put a fingernail. Just take a closer look at that face, huh? Fine face, that. Sort of face. Hey, just a minute. Sir? I've seen this face before. All right, let's take a look at the back of the head. To an experienced member of the murder squad, the lethal blow was an all-too-familiar sight. The matted hair, the trickle of blood staining the collar. But something was not familiar in an investigation of this sort. Despite the congealing blood, the gaping wound... I was astonished at the way the man's hair had been cut. It was much longer than was the prevailing fashion, and it appeared as though the barber had exercised considerable care. Then there were the man's well-kept hands, manicured fingernails. Strange. Look at that ill-fitting suit, cheap shoes, shirt. Something doesn't gel, Jackson. It's almost as though, as though he's in fancy dress. An actor, do you think, sir? Could be. All right, Jackson, get the police ambulance, take him over to the mortuary. I don't think we'll have much difficulty in identifying the body. I was wrong. There were no records as to his fingerprints. Neither the shirt nor suit helped, since both had been mass-produced. And finally, we decided to publish the man's picture. That produced immediate results. Yes? Yes, 
Sir Richard Maybrickens, Beggar. Oh, come in, Sir Richard. Thank Thank you. I warned him. I told him, Richard, I cannot but express my deep sympathy in your loss. I'm a great admirer of his work. As soon as we publish his photograph in the morning paper, half England seemed to be dialing 999 as publishers, admirers. He he had everything to live for. Randolph was my only son. Yes, he was a wonderfully born human person. And yet, he's dead. But why? I'm told he wasn't robbed. Well, Sir Richard, we're assuming he wasn't robbed. According to our senior police surgeon, Dr. McPherson, your son was attacked at about 10 o'clock the night before last. There was an archway just as Gresham Lane ends by the embankment. Oh, yes. It can well be that somebody hid in the archway, waited till your son had passed him, then struck him from behind. It's unbelievable. Inspector Carr, my son was the gentlest of men. He's a happy man. I didn't oppose his decision to become a writer. His con- contributions to college and varsity magazines proved he had a talent which had to be encouraged. And now he's gone. 27 years of age. He, he had so much to offer the world. For the first time since my wife died seven years ago. I'm glad she's not here. No, I've been to identify the body. You said you wanted to see me. Well, I, I, I don't think there's much more I can tell you, Inspector. Forgive me, Sir Richard. Would you want your son's murder to go unpunished? I know. Of course not. Then you have a great deal to tell me. Then you don't understand. Oh? My son lived his own life. I made him an allowance, and he went his own way. Well, he'd return to Maybrick Hall at Easter and Christmas time. I rarely saw him other than at those times. All we found on him a couple of pounds, some silver... A handkerchief, fountain pen, writing pad. Now, we have to start from somewhere, Sir Richard. We have to try and determine why your son was done to death. We have at this moment every available constable trying to find out where your son stayed. You have no idea? No, none at all. Mm. No idea why anybody should want to attack him? Well, unlike myself, Randolph had a great love for his fellow man. I doubt if he had an enemy in the world. You know how he was dressed when he was found? Yes. I'm not surprised. He stayed at lodging houses, doss houses. He couldn't very well mix with the poor and the scum dressed in a Savile Row suit. I have seen him dressed as he was when I... when I identified the body. In those particular clothes? Well, if not those, clothes of a similar kind. I see. When did you see your son last? Three weeks ago. To my great relief. We had a party to celebrate his engagement. Why relief? Because, Inspector, I was afraid that his guilt of having a rich father and his genuine sympathy with the underprivileged would would cause him to do something stupid. Mm -hmm. Such as what? Well, convince himself he'd fallen in love with some some girl that that needed saving. I I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Yes, I think I do. And I don't misunderstand me. You've read my son's work. Despite it all, he had a clear and level-headed approach to things. Yes, I'm sure he did. I've already told you, Sir Richard, I, I admired his writing very much. You, you say you haven't seen him for three weeks. What about his fiancée? Surely you might... Oh, Marjorie was quite willing to accept my boy on his terms. Did she see him often, do you know? Well, Marjorie down to the hall last Wednesday. I haven't spoken to her since. Her name, telephone number, Sir Richard? It's Brockmore 783. It's Marjorie Amory. Yes, sir. I want you to locate... On the phone, Miss Marjorie Amory, telephone number Brockmore, 783. Right, sir. Forgive me for asking you this, Sir Richard. You're an extremely wealthy man. 
Was your son to be the main beneficiary in your will? Yes. Apart from a number of charities and bequests, I left everything else to Randolph. I worshipped the boy. Or had it all tied up in trusts. Otherwise, he'd be inclined to give it all away. What happens now? I don't know. My solicitor wanted me to make some provision, but, but I, I, I couldn't envisage my son dying before me. Well, why? Just looking for motive. Had your will been worded differently, your life might have been in danger. Excuse me. Cut. Miss Avery on the line, Inspector. Right. You came to a miss. Speak up, please. Hello. Hello. Inspector Carr, yes? I know. Also. Well, the first thing I knew about it was when I saw this morning's paper. I'm sorry. It's the only way to get a quick identification. I telephoned Sir Richard. Poor man. He's with me at the moment. Oh, it's not true, is it? This is all... I'm sorry to have to telephone you like this, but if we're to catch the man who killed your fiancé, we have to work fast. When did you see Randolph Maybrick last? Saturday night. What did you say? This Saturday night? Yes. I went up to London. Oh, this is only... Two nights ago, yes. Miss Amory, please, I have to talk to you urgently. Can I ask you to come to Scotland Yard? I'll send a car for you if you like. It's not... No, no, I've got my own car. Scotland Yard? That's near Whitehall, is it? Yes, yes. In fact, go down Whitehall... Take the first narrow turning to the left, as if you're making for Westminster, and tell a policeman that you want to go to F block. Right. I'll get there as soon as I can. Thank you very much. Oh, Miss Amory's coming here. She tried to telephone you this morning. Yeah, poor girl. Well, I've had most of my life. At least you had so much to live for. Well, if there's anything more you... Uh, no, no, thank you. I'll see you out. It was with a great deal of admiration that I saw Sir Richard Maybrick's departure. Not once did he reveal the deep anguish and sense of loss he was feeling. A widower who had read in a newspaper that his only son, one of Britain's outstanding young writers, had been beaten to death by an unknown assailant. The investigation was well underway. Yes? Operations here, Inspector. We've traced Maybrick's movements on Saturday tonight, sir. Yes? Commissioner at Deborah's Club in Curzon Street recognized him at once, sir. Deborah's Club? In those curves? Oh, apparently not, sir. He was with a very lovely-looking young lady. But, well, he's been staying. Still no trace? And he's come through from X branch yes, sir. Thank you. Miss Amory, sir. Oh, hello, Miss Amory. Made it in very good time. Do come in, sit down. Thank you. What about a cup of coffee? No, thank you. I'll be all right. At least I hope so. Hope so? I'm trying not to cry again, Inspector. Oh, don't mind a hardened old policeman. If you feel like crying, you do so. I had to do this to you. Seems your fiancé led to a Jekyll and Hyde existence. He didn't really. He just didn't want to embarrass anyone. Even the clothes he wore. Where did he live in London? He kept a small flat in St. John's Wood. Oh. He didn't want to... Well, it's where he kept his suits and things. But you know, he was halfway through his book. He said it was ten years since George Orwell had written his novel about, well, what they call the other half. Oh, Inspector, it's such a waste. He was such a wonderful man. I'm not just trying to console you. I read his work. He was a wonderful man. But we have to be practical. We have to get hold of the person who killed him. And to do this, we have to find out why and who. His father hasn't been able to help us very much. Poor Sir Richard. 
They were poles apart, father and son. Yet they loved and respected each other. They really did. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sorry to have to ask you this very trite question, but have you any idea who would have tried to kill Randolph? Yes. Yes, I have. I was afraid for him, but I didn't think it would happen this way. Could it be true? Could this pale-faced young lady gazing at me with her tear-filled eyes give me a springboard from which we could catch the killer? You said that you were afraid for your fiancé. What do you mean when you say you didn't think it would happen this way? What happened? Why were you afraid for him? Last Wednesday, I'd gone over to dine with Sir Richard. Yes. Well, Randolph said he was on to something important, and he'd try to motor down if possible, but he would telephone. And did he? Yes, just after dinner. You don't know how happy I am knowing that I'm going to have you as a daughter-in-law, Marjorie. <laughs> Not half as happy as I am. Oh, I do love him. I really do. And we both do. You must promise to produce me a grandson as quickly as possible. You know, somebody to take over Maybrick Enterprises. Do you mind very much about Randolph? Well, I did at first. Now, but don't you tell him. I'm proud of him. Although I can't understand half the things he writes about. Oh, that'll be Randolph now. Hello? How's my long-suffering fiancé? Sorry I couldn't make it out. So was I. Oh, I haven't seen you for ages. Randolph, why don't you come and spend the day tomorrow? I'd hope to. Well, the truth of the matter is, darling, that I've acquired more material than I bargained for. Oh, what do you mean? One picks up a stone in search of a lizard and finds a reptile. Who said that? <laughs> Sophocles? Oh, darling, what are you talking about? Well, you remember I said I was on something important. I am. I don't propose to turn myself into a police informer. On the other hand, my book is going to have the kind of shape I'd never bargained for. Oh, darling, stop talking in riddles. When am I going to see you? I know I've neglected you disgracefully. Let's become bourgeois. I'll adorn myself with the trappings of the rich and we'll trip the light fantastic at Deborah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. But when I see you before then? No, my love. Uh, come to the flat Sevenish on Saturday. Fully gowned and in your right mind. There is father there? Yes, I'll call Sir Richard took the phone. Believe it or not, Inspector Carr, I felt slightly apprehensive then. Why? I don't know. Something in his voice. You say that you had an idea who would try to kill Randolph. Well, perhaps that was an exaggeration, but Randolph told me something. But you see, the night before, when we were... <laughs> Yes. Well, isn't this better than traipsing around the slums in old clothes? No, Marjorie. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. I'm not breaking my promise. When I'm Mrs. Randolph Maybrick, you can put on your sackcloth and ashes and go rushing off to the sewers as often as you like, <laughs> providing you take a bath when you come home. Oh, I do love you. And are you. You do understand, don't you? If I'm going to be the sort of writer I want to be, I can't just imagine what people are like from some ivory tower. I've got to mix with them, live with them, share them. Darling, you've explained it all to me, and, well, I want you to go on doing it. I'm proud to be the girl that the great writer... Well, well, uh, up-and-coming Shakespeare. We don't often see you in places such as this. 
And that one doesn't see you, period. And how is the future today? Hello, Lester. Aren't you going to ask me to join you for a drink? Won't you be deserting your table? <laughs> oh, well done. Yeah, I was testing you out, Randolph. Still turning the other cheek, eh? Being polite, even though we hate each other's guts. <laughs> nice to see you again, Miss Amory. Mrs. Caroline going out. You went to school together, didn't you? Yes. He doesn't know it, but I saw him a few days ago. What is it, Randolph? Why are you looking at me? Indirectly, Lester Rawlings has been keeping us apart, my love. What on earth do you mean? Did you know that I've been working as a madman? That's nothing new, dear. You've been a car washer, road laborer, commie waiter. All grist to my literary mill, my sweet. I saw friend Lester, but he didn't see me, fortunately. Why, fortunately? And because, my darling, had he recognized me, my life would not be all that secure. Oh, darling, favorite tune. Yes, sir. Certainly, my sweet. Although the dancer, I make a very good bottle washer. You see, Inspector, that was just two nights ago. That's interesting. Very interesting. Tell me more about Mr. Lester Rawlings. Well, I don't know very much. You know how it is. When I had my first coming out party, he was one of the eligible young bachelors. His father was a great friend of Daddy's. Well, I never did like him. The only reason we ever got to know each other was because he told me he was at Eton with Randolph. When did you see this Lester Rawlings last? Uh, before your Saturday meeting, I mean. Oh, not for months and months. As you can imagine, Randolph loathed the usual kind of social party. Hmm. Is there anything else you know about him that might help us? No. Well, one last word. When you left Deborah's, did you both go back to Randolph's flat? We were engaged, Inspector. I'm sorry. It, it's rather important. You see, if your fiancé went back to his flat alone, he could have been followed. I went back. We had a drink and a cigarette together, and then I drove back to Brockmore, and that was the, the last time I saw Randolph. You're sure there's nothing else you can tell me? Positive. How many people would know where Randolph kept his pied-à-terre? I doubt if anyone. Randolph swore me to secrecy, and well, he said he didn't want his father, and his publishers, or anyone to know that he had a permanent base in London. He loved his solitary state. I found him the flat. Oh? How long ago? Last month. He used to cart his other clothes around and... Well, it seemed silly. And what was the address in St. John's Wood? 16 Crickwood Avenue. That's right, sir. Quiet-spoken gentleman he was. Told me he was a writer. Told me he needed somewhere to keep his things and that sort of thing. Oh, quite a shock when I saw his picture in the paper this morning. Weren't you surprised when he didn't return to his rooms? Oh, no. He... He gave me some of his books to read. Well, a lot of it was beyond a man of my education, but he knew what he was writing about, all right. Very fine, polite young gentleman he was. Come, Inspector, I'll show you his room. The rooms were clean and comfortable enough, yet far removed from the comfortable splendor of Maybrick Hall. A small sitting room, bedroom, comprised what Miss Amory described as his flat. The only concession to a man of his intellect was the enormous number of books to be seen. In the cupboard was sartorial evidence of the man's Jekyll and Hyde existence. Overalls, corduroy trousers, dinner jacket patent over shoes, and hobnail boots. 
Going through a man's personal papers and private correspondence is an unpleasant but necessary part of any murder investigation. In one of his pockets, I found a ticket from the Imperial Casual Labor Agency. Yes, Inspector, I recognized this picture at once. I telephoned 999, I did, but it's already been identified. They told me at the agency that you were the foreman in charge of the work gang. Yes, casual labor, loading up the Queen Carolina. The Queen Carolina? Yes, that's right, sir. Well, you must know about her. She goes up and down the Thames. And then I'll put away some food and lick it up, I tell you. Oh, yes, sort of nightclub on the river. That's a ticket, sir. How long did this job last? Only two days. Some did scrubbing, some did loading. What about Maverick? Oh, <laughs> I knew it was Smith. Of course, that wasn't his real name. But when you're a foreman of casual workers like that, you learn to mind your own business. Of course, I knew he was educated and that sort of thing. But he knew how to work. Yeah, he said he wore gloves. Said he might want to do some typing one day. Oh, don't worry about my wearing gloves. Got to look after my hands. Need to do some typing sometime. Oh, Blobby is a gaffer. Oh, I'm off. I don't want him to see me. How about sir? Haven't you chaps finished yet? My office is a positive disgrace. Hey, we'll leave that to last, sir. Here, Fred, you go in and fix the office, will you? Don't worry, Fred, I'll do it. I could see that he'd call to say uh, he'd go below deck because he didn't want the gentleman to recognize him. And did he? No, I don't think so. Anyway, it was none of my business. You used the word gaffer, meaning the owner. What was his name? Uh, Mr. Rawley, sir. I'll try to think of I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, never mind. Then what happened? Well, we got the Queen Carolina ready, and then we all, uh, well, some of us went home and some of us had a drink. I see. According to the agency, the man you knew as Smith worked all day Tuesday and all day Wednesday. Is that when Mr. Rawlings came aboard, Wednesday afternoon? Yes, sir. And is that the last time you saw Maybrick or Smith? Yes, sir. We said goodbye to each other in the pub. Oh, you went off to a pub? Yeah. I, I was a bit surprised, really. I shouted who was coming for a drink when I paid him off. And he said he would. We had a drink at the Millbank Arms. You know, come to think of it, he was a bit excited about something. Oh? Yeah. He said that the Queen Carolina was a wolf in ship's clothing. <laughs> that made me laugh, that did. But when I asked him what he was getting at, he just drank his drink and pushed off. Thank you very much, Mr. Starling. Thank you very much indeed. Securing the necessary warrant from the Port of London Authority, I instituted a thorough search of the floating nightclub, knowing that Maybrick would not use a phrase such as a wolf in ship's clothing for nothing. He didn't. We ought to be blowed. There must be over half a million quid's worth of morphine. There must be, and there is. All right, Sergeant. Get back to X-Branch. Get on to narcotics. They want to know what vessels have been in the vicinity. It's my guess that the drugs have got aboard the Queen Carolina by means of the magnetic mine. Anyway, that's narcotics affair. I'm still concerned with murder, particularly as we now have a motive. We'll pull in Mr. Lester Rawlings. Well, Mr. Rawlings, I suppose you've a good idea why I've asked you to come to Scotland Yard. Where were you on Sunday night? I was on board my ship. Why? That's very interesting. Fancy asking me why. Are you trying to tell me that an intelligent man such as yourself hadn't linked our request that you visit us with Maybrick's death? When did you see him last? Last Saturday night at Deborah's, in Curzon Street. His body was found in Gresham Lane, less than 300 yards from where your nightclub was moored. Well? What time did you go aboard the Queen Carolina on Sunday night? Well, I couldn't give you the exact time, about 11. Well, we were wondering if you might have seen or heard anything. 
After all, you knew Maybrick well. Might even have cut through Gresham Lane. His body had been lying there for about an hour. Even if I did, I wouldn't take any notice of a man dressed like a tramp. <laughs> I can't help you. We think you can. You haven't seen Maybrick since last Saturday night? No, I have not. You're lying. I called you an intelligent man, Rawlings. You're not. You're a stupid fool. You've given yourself away. I'm arresting you on a charge of murdering Randolph Maybrick, and I now warn you. Well, listener, he did make a foolish mistake, didn't he? Even the most intelligent of criminals slips under interrogation. Did you notice where he slipped? Not sure. How did Rawlings give himself away so foolishly? It was this. You might even have cut through Gresham Lane. His body had been lying there for about an hour. Well, even if I did, I wouldn't take any notice of a man dressed like a tramp. It was a giveaway, wasn't it? In the first place, Rawlings declared that he hadn't seen Maybrick since his encounter at Deborah's. Then how would he know that the dead man was dressed like a tramp? The few times they met were under such salubrious circumstances as to cause Maybrick to wear more conventional clothes. Of course, he had recognized him on the Queen Carolina. No, it all came out in the trial... Maybrick returned to the vessel on Sunday, having accidentally come across a consignment of drugs. He warned Rawlings that he was going to inform against him, and then went ashore. Rawlings followed him and attacked him with a hammer. Oh, the moral of the story, if you're a writer, don't be casual about your labor. You'll not only be down, you'll be out. For keeps. Good night. <laughs> Epic Casebook was produced by Michael Silver for the makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Maple Margarine, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, and Niblet Cheese Twists, with Hugh Ruff as Inspector Carr. Listen again next Thursday night at 9.30 to another exciting story from our Epic Casebook. Book.